Welcome, 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 everybody, to the A Block right here on Canadian Football Perspective. Thank you for being here, as always. Do appreciate it at CF Perspective. You know by now the handles at TSN underscore Marsh. That's where you can find me if you'd like to badger me about bad opinions or bad analysis or bad play-by-play or, you know, whatever your choice is on things that you don't like about me. That's fine. But I assume if you're here, maybe you like some of the stuff that we are doing. And for that, I say thank you. And I also say thank you to our good friends at Fox 40. Check out Fox 40 gear products to make your combine run smoothly coming up this fall. Get ahead before the rush. Shop whistles, stopwatches, ball pumps, and more. Fox40shop.com is where you go to get all that good stuff. Use the code CFP15 at checkout for 15% off of your entire order. I'm going to be releasing this before I head down to the Ticats Alouettes game, Thursday Night Football. Shockingly similar teams I've found in a lot of different ways this year in my analysis, trying to understand. Uh, And one of the things that I, I put together that we'll get to is this is basically just going to be a recap of all of the strange analysis things that I've done throughout the week is the number of times there have been comebacks this season in the CFL. We, I did this for a sports center piece that should be going out, I believe either Thursday or Friday is the idea that uh, you've had Winnipeg hold on for a one point victory against Toronto after leading by 17 in that game. That was a West victory over the East. You've had Calgary and Edmonton come from at least 12 down in both games. I believe in the Calgary game, Hamilton was up by 23, 21 at one point. That's two more victories for the West over the East in games where it's a comeback or a big score disparity. You have uh, the game at the start of the year where Montreal is leading against Calgary. Calgary comes back. They get the win. That's the West over the East. I mean, it's... It's over and over. Edmonton in Montreal, biggest comeback since 2013, 19 points. That's the West over the East. I, I do not feel like we are putting in context enough. The, yes, the East record, ooh, it's ugly. It's ugly. You look at the standings here going into week number eight, and you've got Toronto sitting at the top of the standings with three wins. It doesn't even feel like Toronto's played three games to me as of yet. Like, it's wild the fact that they're at the top of the standings, but there they are. So they've got themselves a 3-2 and two record, Montreal 2-4 and four going into tonight, Hamilton 1-5, and of course the Ottawa Red Blacks down there at 0-6. But it's the idea of the comeback. It's the idea of the comeback and how many times the West has been able to either hold on against a comeback attempt or been able to come back against an East team. And that's the thing that I find to be most interesting right now. Uh, but I am I'm looking at the big picture here of the league as a whole in a lot of my analysis this week, because I don't have a game this weekend to call. Unfortunately, (laughs) I always hate that. It's, Oh, it's a long wait when you have a weekend where you don't have a game to call when you're so used to prepping and interviewing and uh, yeah, just sucks. But as I tweeted out on Sunday of last week, Hey, if I don't have a game to call, might as well dive in and and put a little bit more energy and emphasis into uh, other things such as the analysis and So what I decided to do this week uh, was to take a look at a couple of different things that I found to be interesting. One of them that I tweeted out that I thought was, you know, one of those that people might be able to chew on a little bit, which is, I think, kind of the purpose of the analysis. It's not to prove, hey, I'm right, or I'm smarter than anybody else, or I do this better, or that's never the point. The point is always just to hey, here's some, something to think about around the league that you care about, the game that you care about. And that was cumulative 
score differential, which is basically a term that I kind of made up, if I'm being completely honest with you. Uh, I had a couple of people tweet at me and say, the hell does cumulative score differential mean? All it means is the sum, positive and negative, of the score in a game for every team on every offensive snap that they take. So if I'm the Hamilton Tiger Cats and I've taken 100 snaps and I've led by you know uh, one point for all of those 100 snaps, my cumulative score differential would be plus 100. Now, of course, weird scores in the CFL, singles, uh, you know, you're talking about safeties being conceded and teams going for two points a whole bunch. And you're going to end up with wonky scores, wonky score differentials, all the rest. But this is something that I has always been a bit of an annoyance for me in, in the basic analysis of baseball, where this is used quite often, right? They run differential is how it's used. And so I listen just like many of you to sports podcasts. And in particular, when I hear people discuss baseball, and I, <laughs> I say this full honesty, I say this as somebody who was on morning radio in Hamilton and didn't really know much about anything other than football and specifically CFL football. I didn't really, like, I wasn't watching the Leafs every night. Like, I wasn't watching the Raptors every single night. I was, eh, I know the, I know the nuts and bolts here. I'll check out the box score. I'll watch a clip on social. I'll talk about it. You know, we'll spin some webs and we'll discuss and we'll have fun with it and we'll laugh and we'll put up some poll questions and, but I, I, I'm not, I'm not that dude. Like Ryan Rossillo used to work. I, I don't even know where he is now. I think it's the ringer, but he tells a story about working at ESPN, trying to fight his way through the company. And he needed to know everybody's name and every stat line. You could go to him at any point and say, Hey, uh, who had the second goal tonight in the Dallas stars, Washington capitals game. And he would know. And he said, it got him nowhere. <laughs> so I heard that when I was pretty young and I was like, you know what? I don't think I need to know who was the first substitution into the game uh, between the Miami Heat and the San Antonio Spurs tonight. So I was really focused on CFL football, which is why getting to work exclusively in CFL football now is a blessing and much more convenient to the way that my brain works. Uh, but I do have recollections of hearing people talk about run differential, run differential, run differential. And it's like, you know, the Miami Marlins, their run differential is, uh, you know, plus 63 but they're, uh, you know, they win 30% of the games that they play in. They're a 350 club. And it's like, well, what does that tell you? Well, it tells you that they are a better team than their run differential assumes, or it tells you that they're scoring a bunch of runs in games that don't actually matter and skewing the numbers. So I decided to apply that logic because in my tracking, I have what the score of the game is on every snap that is taken. And essentially find out what the cumulative differential is, the football run differential, if you will, uh, between all these teams this year. And part, one part of it that I wanted to do was to see, okay, just how dominant or how bad have teams like BC or Edmonton or Ottawa been, Winnipeg? Like how dominant have they been? How long have they held leads for? I knew BC was going to lead in this made-up statistic that I have, but I wasn't sure by how much especially considering that they seem to have come back down to earth just a little bit since the ridiculous start that they had to the year against Toronto and Edmonton. On the other side, I had a feeling Edmonton was going to be last. Why? 
because uh, I get blown out early by BC and it was a big score difference. And so that's going to skew the numbers, especially when you're only you know, seven weeks into the season. And so what I ended up getting here is a, a bunch of numbers that tell me, yes, dominant at the top, terrible at the bottom. But what I found really interesting was the middle of the pack. Because just like I'm talking about the Miami Marlins being plus 63, but being a 350 team, there's some surprises here for score differential throughout the young CFL season for teams that don't have very many wins, which either tells you that they are leading a big chunk of the game and then they end up losing at the end. Hamilton Day. Uh, <laughs> specifically the games against Calgary and Edmonton, I think is why the number is what it is for them. Uh, or it tells you that they're keeping games very, very close the whole time and they're just losing by small margins. And so here is the cumulative score differential as read to you because one thing I learned in radio is people love when you read numbers into an audio format. BC leads the way. Their cumulative score differential is plus 2,092 points. Throughout the year, BC is plus 2,092. Second place, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, undefeated. They are about 320 some odd points behind in this cumulative made up score differential stat. They are plus 1,768. After that, there is only one other team that is in the positive behind BC and Winnipeg. Can anybody name the one team that is in the positive adding up all the snaps they've taken this year and what the score of the game is when they are taking that snap? It's plus 213. That's one hint that I'll give you. There's a huge drop-off. BC, plus 2,092. Winnipeg, plus 1,768. Third-place team, plus 213. The Montreal Alouettes. The Montreal Alouettes have been playing close games, and they've been leading against Edmonton, obviously. Had that 19-point lead for a while. It got chipped away up. They held a lead in those games. That means they're the only other team that is in the positive with BC and Winnipeg. When you get into the negative, the fourth team overall in this score differential stat, Hamilton Tiger Cats are only minus 126. They're one and five. Now th that is skewed by the Calgary and the Edmonton games where they were leading and they ended up losing the game overall, but that will certainly help their score differential throughout the year. That would be wild if they had a positive score differential and they were one and five. Because, I mean, they could be 0-6 at this point against the Ottawa Red Blacks. That was super, super close. So uh, Saskatchewan is in fifth, negative 312. Negative 312. So in the negatives, you got Hamilton, negative 126. Saskatchewan, negative 312. Calgary is negative 454. Again, trailing against the Hamilton Tiger Cats. They storm back and end up winning uh, against the Montreal Alouettes week one. They were behind a big chunk at the start of the game. And so that hurts their score differential. Now we get into the bottom of the pile. Uh, that team that I told you was leading the East Division, the Toronto Argonauts, negative 1,411 <laughs> is their cumulative score differential. Ottawa uh, is right there with them at negative 1,200. And Edmonton at the bottom of the pile, negative 3,983 points on the season when you add up all of the snaps that they have taken this year. <sighs> okay. Now, if you have any questions on that, 
tweet me at TSN underscore Marsh. I know that's a ton of numbers to be able to fire at you, uh, but I just, I wanted to detail that, break that down a little bit uh, so that people can understand. It's an interesting number. It's a funky one. It's a bit of a different one. And, uh, and it'll give you uh, a little window into a different way of thinking about dominance of teams, when they're dominant, what win-loss records really mean. And when we talk about the East Division being so bad, yes, the win-loss records, absolutely. And you are judged by your win-loss record. But in the big picture of things, the East Division is really not that bad. Like it's, you've got Montreal and Hamilton in the top four of score differential throughout the year. What that does tell me, those teams have an inability to finish to finish games and specifically in the fourth quarter. Can you hold on to a fourth quarter lead or are you taking a bunch of snaps with a lead and then at the end of the game, you just end up losing? I think that's that's what that says to me about Montreal and Hamilton. But uh, Toronto being at the top of the division right now when being way down there in the basement next to Ottawa, they're kind of in a, in a point differential spot of their own that is separate from the bottom of the bottom of the bottom, which is Edmonton and the rest of the league, which is Montreal, Hamilton, Saskatchewan, Calgary. But BC and Winnipeg, no doubt in my mind right now, um, they are the two top teams. With Calgary, I would say they're due. I mean, Calgary's, I think they're going to put together a run here. And much in the same way, I think Saskatchewan's going to fall off a cliff, to be honest with you, in a lot of different ways, uh, especially if they don't have Fajardo back in there. I, I didn't mind what Jake Dolagala did, but uh, that is a project quarterback. And having a project at quarterback when you are in a great cup season, that is not ideal. Great cup hosting season, I should say. That is, that is certainly not ideal. Not what they want to accomplish. So, uh, so that was just a random number that I pulled that I wanted to throw out there. The next thing that I wanted to get to here in, uh, in my week looking around the league and breaking different things down uh, was that I, I don't do EPA. I know there's guys out there that do that. Uh, I you know, haven't been able to wrap my head around EPA. I, when I started doing game tracking, before I even launched CFP, I was just kind of doing this because I was quite honestly just pissed off that people were saying, hey, Zach Kalaros, uh, really inaccurate with the deep ball. And I was like, based on what? And they're like, oh, I don't know. I watched the game. I was like, yeah, but do you know what the route concept was? Like, do you understand like his average depth of target? Do you know like how effective he is? What's his completion percentage over 30 yards down the field in the fourth quarter over the last three years? Do you? And I, so I just started building out this database of information that I could make solid sound arguments in, in respect to myself because I didn't want to feel like a fraud giving analysis, but also because I wanted to give the fans better analysis. I wanted to, to be able to stand in front of you, whether it be radio, television, podcast, otherwise, and give you facts and give you information. And then once you have the information, you can choose to do with it what you like. You can say, well, that number doesn't tell the truth. Okay, sure, whatever. Every stat's different. But you can't make a valid argument if you don't have any information whatsoever. Then that's just an opinion. That's that's not an argument. There's a difference between those two things, in my my opinion. So, uh, so all right. I looked uh, on CFL.ca this week on uh, the idea of the Tiger Cats defense and really the, the landscape of the CFL defensively and how teams are being attacked. And if you would like uh, to see the charts that are going to accompany the next couple of minutes of me talking about this um, in the show notes, I'll include the link to the CFL.ca article. And then you can just go over there. So wherever you get your podcast, there should be a link uh, in the show notes and you can click on it and it should take you right to the story itself. And you can see the visual uh, to kind of pair it up with uh, what I'm talking about here. So uh, production grade, production grade is something I've had a couple of questions on as to what I, what I do, what I consider it to be, what it means. 
for me, production grade is, again, because I'm not a big math guy and I'm not like a real true analytics person, it is essentially every single snap, I look at uh, how much production and offense gets on that play. And so if this is a situation in which, uh, you know, you have a turnover on that play, uh, it's a zero, which by the way, this whole thing is graded from zero to five. Like that's just how I do it in my mind. That was how I decided I wanted to do all my grading. So I do the same thing with accuracy where zero is the worst throw you've ever seen. One is uh, a throw that probably should have been intercepted because it was such a bad decision or bad ball placement, but it didn't. Two is, uh, it's just not quite good enough. Three is good enough to be caught, but could have helped the receiver more. Four is you put the ball where it needed to be. And five is, whoo, baby, what a throw. Like I, just that zero to five works with the way that my mind works, which is why I do these things these ways. Uh, but when it comes to production, the production grade, what I do is zero is a turnover. One is punting of a field goal uh, or punting or field goal team has to come onto the field. Basically, the offense is leaving the field, but there's no turnover. So that's usually just special teams. Two is a gain of less than four yards on first down or the inability to create a third down sneak opportunity. Three is a gain of four yards or more on first down or you create a third down sneak opportunity on second down. Four is a first down, five is a touchdown, okay? Pretty simple. So just think of it this way. Zero, turnover, worst case scenario. Five, touchdown, best case scenario. Everything else kind of grades in between there for how you are having success. And so I take that number and I multiply it by 20 at the end once I have it, just to be able to get a sense for who's having success and who is not in certain situations, because I believe football is all about situation. Situational football is really important. So I can chop this apart into production grade on passing plays or running plays at whatever point of the game that I want on any part of the field that I want when the score of the game is anywhere. And that gives me the analysis to say, you know, if there's a team like Ottawa at the start of this year where they're really having a difficult time producing in the score zone, which by the way, I'm amazed I haven't had a single person tweet me about the fact that on TSN games, I'm calling it the score zone. It used to drive me nuts. When Rod Black, shout out to Roddy, love him. But he used to drive me nuts when Rod would say, at least once a weekend, and they're, you know, the Ottawa Red Blacks are into the red zone, or some people call it the green zone, or the, I was like, the colors mean nothing. Like, I, I hope that people can get on board with this concept and we can normalize this, is the idea that the colors of that area on the field from the 30 in or the 20 in or whatever you want to call it, We've been socialized by, I think, NFL football. It's like, oh, it's the red zone. It's the red zone. It's the red zone. And then other people started saying, well, it's the green zone because it's time to go. No, what, the, what is your job when you get to that part of the field? To score. Your job is to score. That's the score zone. That's how I was taught it when I was playing at McMaster. Steph Patacic, head coach, John Behe, offensive coordinator. We had three sections of the field. Inside your own 30 was the win zone. Why was it the win zone? Because getting two first downs, that, that was a win. If we get two first downs and we don't have to give up points and we can punt the ball away and play defense after getting two first downs, the numbers show that if you get two first downs over the course of a game, you will have more success by getting two first downs and kicking the football away. That's a win. So that's the win zone. You got to get two first downs to get out of there. The field zone is just the middle of the field. It's from the 30 to the 30. And the score zone is inside the 30. What's your job? Score. There you go score zone. So we would look at score zone opportunities or what are our favorite score zone plays or so I've been calling it score zone on television. And I felt like a total outcast for calling it that because I don't really hear that many other places in professional football broadcasting. But that's just me bringing my own flavor and my own experience to the broadcast booth, which 
I hope is part of the reason why they hired me. And uh, yeah, so this is an example of how I can chop up all of that information using the production grades to be able to tell a story, to analyze specific situations within the game, which is all a long-winded way of saying, here's how the defenses are shaken out in 2022 through the first third of the season, heading into week number eight, beginning again with the Ticats and the Alouettes tonight. What you have is essentially a <laughs> teams attacking the Ottawa Red Blacks with the run. Part of that has to do with the score differential because Edmonton and Ottawa, as we already learned, are way down near the bottom. Well, when you're leading by a bunch against these teams' defenses, then you're going to run the football a little bit more. So that explains part of it. Uh, but Ottawa is giving up a very high production grade on the ground at all times in the game. Like they, they're they struggling right now against the run, I think, which with Avery Williams in there uh, is a little confusing to me because, and Chris Jones running the defense in Edmonton, that's a little confusing to me as well, but uh, maybe they're just getting worn down by all of that. The, the team that is having their opponent throw against them the most in the CFL this season is the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Why? Because, well, they're, they're beating everybody. So teams are trying to throw their way back into this thing. And we'll get to some of that coming up in a minute. Uh, but the BC Lions are kind of like middle of the pack in terms of how much teams are either running or throwing against them. Like they're kind of right there with Saskatchewan and Hamilton. But the best defensive production grade, right? So that means like the lowest amount of production given up to the opposing offense when it's through the air is the Hamilton Tiger Cats by my judgment, like on a play to play basis. And they're giving up the third most passing or third fewest passing yards, I should say. Um, so this does check out with some of the more traditional statistics where, you know, you're not giving up a ton of net offense. You're not giving up a ton of passing yards. You're not giving up a high average yards per pass attempt. Uh, but Hamilton, I think that's been surprising to me because their back end, their secondary has been, yes, really solid. Like Alden Darby coming in, I think is, is a big help. And Tony Adelike looks good. Jamal Rolls, exceptional. Like it's, but they've been playing without Cariel Brooks. They've been moving some pieces around. Seante Evans has been in the fold, uh, but they're the best against the pass in terms of production grade. And, uh, and Winnipeg is having teams trying to throw up and down on them. Now, when we look at run defense, which again is just the opposite in terms of tendencies, the other direction. So you've got uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers that are getting thrown at a ton. Ottawa and Edmonton are getting uh, run at a lot. But the production grade given up to opponents on the ground, Hamilton is the second best team against the run, according to this measurement, behind only the Toronto Argonauts, who they don't get run at a ton. They're below league average. It's about 25.3% of the time that teams are attempting to run on them, right? So you're talking about 75% pass, 25% uh, run, but they have the best production grade against uh, rushing attempts. And second is the Hamilton Tiger Cats, which again, you're talking about the East division and not exactly stellar records between those two teams. Like you've got a, co a combined four wins through the first seven weeks of the season. And yet they're right there against the run, which I don't know if that devalues what the importance of the run is to you. But the other part of this is that defensively against the run, the Montreal Alouettes are giving up the highest production grade to opponents on the ground. And that was a little surprising to me too, because teams are kind of owning them. It looks like in between the tackles and it, maybe it shouldn't be surprising because you do, you lose Woody Barron and Jamal Davis as a defensive end. And uh, David Menard goes in free agency to BC and, 
I, maybe that was part of the reason that they decided to bring in Noel Thorpe. I don't know. Not sure, but certainly they've been struggling against the run as it stands right now. And it's not as though teams are running the ball a ton against the Montreal Alouettes. It's more so the idea that uh, they're just, they're giving up these big gashing plays. They're allowing explosives, which is uh, never a good thing when you are trying to mix it up defensively. Last thing I want to throw at you here in this uh, makeshift pod is a uh, sports center piece that I mentioned coming out. I wanted to just give this information because I don't know if all of it's going to make it into the piece because they try to make it 90 seconds long that we're trying to make these things. It's just a lot of information to get into 90 seconds television with graphics and B-roll and stuff like that. So trailing by two plus scores, trailing by one score, leading by one score, leading by two or more scores. Uh, This is something that I took a look at in terms of how aggressive teams are throwing the football. And what piqued my interest on this was Trevor Harris and the Montreal Alouettes are in Ottawa last Thursday night. And I'm calling the game with Wayne Ford. And I always love this situation, just the mind games of this and going against your tendencies. And uh, it's one of those situations where coaches and quarterbacks are either the hero or the zero very quickly. You've given up a touchdown as Ottawa scored. So now you go from a 14 point lead to just a seven point lead. Well, what are you going to do with that seven point lead? There's the kickoff comes out to, you know, 35, 40 yard line. Offense takes the field. You're going to be aggressive and try to close this game out, throw it down the field, catch them off guard, or you're going to run it right into a loaded box and get tackled, let the clock run, which helps, but get tackled and not move the football and have to punt it back. And now they've got the possession of the football down by seven with the field to drive. It's always a great question. It's one of the things that I enjoy the most in in CFL football is there could be a minute left in a game and that thing ain't over. So trailing by two scores or more, the team that calls the highest percentage of passing plays, not shocking. Hamilton Tiger Cats, 90.6% of the time. If they are trailing by nine points or more, because that qualifies as two scores, if they're trailing by nine points or more, the Hamilton Tiger Cats are throwing the ball 90.6% of the time. On the opposite end, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, they don't even qualify. You know why? Because they haven't had a snap all year where they've been trailing by two or more scores. Like nobody has been leading. Winnipeg by nine points or more the entire year. And so they don't even qualify for that one, which I found that to be amazing. Trailing by one score. So this is, you're either down between one point or eight points. Okay. One score, which people can say uh, three points is a field goal. I'm saying if, if it's within one to eight, that's what I consider to be one score. Edmonton. They lead the way 82% of the time they're calling passing plays. Saskatchewan at 76% second, I thought was kind of surprising. And then BC at 75% in third. So your top three pass aggressive teams when trailing by a single score, Edmonton, Saskatchewan, and BC. The opposite end of that spectrum, it's the Calgary Stampeders who have a lot of comfort in Kadeem Carey and Peyton Logan. They don't feel like they have to throw their way into it if they're just trailing by a score. Ottawa. 70.5% of the time. And then the least likely team to throw the football when they are trailing by a score, Winnipeg. Winnipeg believes in their ground game, being able to get them back into a one-score football game. Now, the other side of the equation, leading by one score, leading by one score. Montreal throws the football 80% of the time. That is 8.5% higher than the second-place team, which is the Ottawa Red Blacks. So when Ottawa is leading by one score, they will throw the football 71% of the time. Ottawa will throw it 80% of the time. Is that dumb football? 
Is that them trying to be aggressive to close out the game? I'm not sure. What I do know is that the third place team in the most aggressive passing play calling when leading by a single score is Toronto, which means you have three teams from the East that are number one, number two, and number three in terms of throwing the football when leading by a single score. At the opposite end, Calgary leading by one score, they're most likely to run the football. They're only calling pass plays on 56% of their plays, which if you're keeping score at home, that is 24% more likely to call a running play than a passing play when leading by one score, Calgary versus Montreal. And the final one for you here, as I round out all of the numbers, because I know you're exhausted and I'm not that entertaining to listen to. Leading by two scores, leading by two scores, team most likely to still be throwing the football the Hamilton Tiger Cats, 79.6% of the time, the Hamilton Tiger Cats are throwing the football when leading by two scores or more. And again, situational, roster stuff, how they want to spread it out, game plan, whatever reasoning you want to give, almost 80% of the time when Hamilton is leading by two scores, they're going to throw the football. That's what the numbers say through the first third of this season. Uh, on the opposite end of this, Edmonton, Toronto, and Ottawa don't qualify because they all have less than 10 snaps each, which was kind of my baseline. They each have uh, less than 10 snaps all year, leading by two or more scores. Edmonton, Toronto, and Ottawa, to bring us full circle, their score differential, they're the bottom three teams. And a big part of that, they have not taken more than 10 snaps, any of them, all year, leading by two scores or more. So if you want the full breakdown on all of that stuff, hopefully they can squeeze it into the sports center piece. It'll be much more succinct. It'll look much nicer and it'll probably sound better too. You know, this is just me talking to myself in the basement, but uh, recording the daily news coming up for you on Friday, uh, hoping to have a breakdown for you as well that will come out on Saturday. And uh, we'll have a full recap of all things week eight in the Canadian football league for you coming up. Of course, next week, as there are four games on four different days this week, spreading it out across the uh, the landscape of the country. We got uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday that will be brought to you and hope that everybody has themselves a great summer weekend, the last weekend here in July of 2022. Make the most of it. Enjoy it with the ones that you love and uh, have yourself a wonderful week eight across the CFL.